0: Brought to you by the Appleseed. It's like a regular episode. Only shorter. We call them
1: bites. Thanks for joining us for an Appleseed Bite, a mini episode of the show, a single story long, just a few minutes long, in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill them with a great story, or at least that's what we usually do. Today, we're going to bring you, as our Appleseed Bite, a story that's a little longer, because we've got something that we're celebrating, you know. These Appleseed Bites, we bring a few of them to you each week in preparation for our Thursday full hour-long episode drop, and this Thursday, there's something special that You're going to hear Uh, in addition to a story from Donna Washington. That's a fractured version of the story of the three little pigs. You're going to hear a terrific audio drama cooked up in our secret Appleseed lab, an audio drama about a middle school detective named Quentin Manning, Quentin Manning, detective for justice and the case of the flattened tires. It's uh, an audio drama written by the wonderful storyteller Bill Harley, a longtime friend of the show. So to celebrate, we thought we'd bring you a Bill Harley story as today's Appleseed Bite. This one is called the Teacher's Lounge, and it's a little longer than an Appleseed Bite usually is. But again, we're in the mood for celebrating. Bringing it to us today is Carly Wilson, our audio engineer. Carly, thanks for joining me.
0: So happy to be here, Sam.
1: Tell me about the Teacher's Lounge.
0: Oh, the Teacher's Lounge is such a fun story. Bill has this really great way of telling his stories and memories, this one specifically is a memory from when he was young, as though he's still there. Yeah. And so he is the storyteller for all the ages. Yeah. And it's about him and one of his other classmates trying to help a classmate who might kind of be in a little bit of trouble. And yeah. they, they go through some difficult things, but we'll see what happens.
1: Bill's stories about m- middle school kids mm-hmm. are gu- and elementary school kids are guided by some really fun principles
0: oh yeah so when you go to his website actually one of the first things that pops up is it says bill's rules of the universe (laughs) and i love those his first one says we're more alike than we are different i think you can definitely see that in the storytelling and in this story here too so keep an eye out for that
1: bill's uh rules of the universe right guiding the story the teacher's lounge and we're happy to bring it to you here on the Appleseed.
2: By the time I got halfway through second grade in Delaware Trail Elementary School, I had been in every room in the building except for one. I had been in all the classrooms because I was Mrs. Elliott's little messenger. I had visited the principal's office more than once. I'd been in the nurse's office. I'd been to the library. I'd been in the custodian's office. I'd seen the huge boiler. i had even been in the girls' bathroom once on a dare. There was only one room I had never been in, and neither had any of my friends. It was the teacher's lounge. I used to walk by and look at that door. It was always closed. The teacher's lounge, it said, staff only. All the other rooms Delaware Trail Elementary School had little windows that you could look in and see what was going on, but not... The teacher's lounge. It was a solid oaken door, and it was always shut. The teacher's lounge, staff only. I used to walk by it and stare up at those words and wonder what they meant. In second grade, there were so many words I didn't quite understand, and I tried to figure them out. The lounge, I thought. What does that mean? Well, I knew that my father had a lounge chair, and he would sit out on the porch in the summer, drink beer, and watch the baseball game. I thought, maybe that's what they do in there but the other words were even more confusing. Staff. Staff meant so many different things. Sunday school, they always talked about Moses and his staff. Maybe the teachers had sticks that they shook at each other in there. Or, my dad was always watching the news about the war, and these men would come on in their military uniforms and talk about the war, and they were the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And I thought, maybe the teachers put on military uniforms and order each other around. That's why they're so good at it. Or, I was trying to learn to read music on a musical staff, and it was hard. Maybe the teachers had never learned how to read music, but why wouldn't they do that in the music room? Or, there was a kid in my class who got really sick one day and he had to go home because he had a staph infection. I thought, maybe the teachers go in there when they feel sick. Just a minute, class, I'll be right back, Bleah! And then they come back and teach us some more. But I couldn't figure it out. I wasn't sure. Until one day, I found out, I'm going to tell you what the teacher's lounge is all about. And if you haven't been in there, you're not going to believe it. We found out about the teacher's lounge because of what happened on the playground. That day on the playground, Mrs. Elliott, our teacher, was not the playground monitor. She was in the teacher's lounge. The playground monitor that day was a third grade teacher, and we were afraid of her. We were always afraid of the teachers in the grade above us. That's the way they wanted it for some reason. I don't know why. But beginning in kindergarten, one day I was in kindergarten and our kindergarten teacher stopped us and she said, boys and girls, you can do that here, but the first grade teacher isn't going to like that at all. And by the time we got to first grade, we were terrified of the first grade teacher until we found out she wasn't that bad. And then one day, somebody did something in her class, and she said, oh, Boys and girls, you might do that here in first grade and not get in trouble, but the second grade teachers will be furious if you do it there. And so we were afraid of the second grade teachers. Year after year, we were always afraid of the teacher in the grade above us. And that day on the playground, there was a third grade teacher. She let us back in after recess was over. We all sat down at our desks and then she walked across the room and she turned off the lights. They always did that to calm us down like we were wild animals in a zoo and it was time to go to bed at night. We put our heads on our desks and she said, boys and girls, I want you to sit here very quietly at your desks and wait until Mrs. Elliot comes back. She'll be back in just a minute. She's in the teacher's lounge. She looked at us for a minute and then she left. And we sat there at our desks very quietly for a long time. Because second graders usually do what they're supposed to do. We sat there for a long time. Like 45 seconds. And then we heard someone. A sound from over by the windows. A desk close to the window. We heard this sound. (laughs) We all turned and looked. It was Warren Brennan. His head was on his desk. His hands were covering his head, and his whole body was racked with sobs. <laughs> we said, "Warren, Warren, what's wrong?" He raised his head. We saw tears streaking down his face, making these little mud rivers formed from the dust of the playground that had accumulated on his cheeks. We said, "What's wrong, Warren <laughs> He held up his hand. He had cut it on some piece of playground equipment that hadn't met the specifications of Section 8, Paragraph 2 of the Indiana State Safe Playground Act of 1960. And it was the kind of cut that wasn't a bad cut, but it just wouldn't stop bleeding. And when he cut his hand, he looked around to tell Mrs. Elliott on the playground, but she wasn't there. The only one that was there was that third-grade teacher, and he knew if... He showed her his cut. She'd just say, "'Too bad. That ought to teach you a lesson.'" And so he decided to wait until he got back into the classroom. He'd wiped his hand on his T-shirt and on his face and on his arms, but he just kept bleeding. And after he waited for 45 whole seconds in the classroom, he really couldn't wait anymore. (laughs) Well, in our classroom, when someone sees blood, you can get up. It was just a general rule about second grade. So we all got up from our desk, and we surrounded Warren's desk. Show us, Warren, let us see. He held out the hand. (laughs) We turned to Mike Newcomb. His father was a doctor. We said, what do you think, Mike? He said, well, my dad says, if you lose two pints of blood, you die. (laughs) That piece of medical advice didn't seem to help Warren at all. No, you're not going to die, said another kid. It's just a little cut, but you're probably going to have to have stitches and they really hurt. (laughs) Nothing we said to Warren seemed to calm him down. We knew what had to happen. When you get hurt in school, you go to the nurse's office because the nurse had three things that she could do for you when you were sick. She could give you a piece of ice. She could give you a Band-Aid or she could give you a cough drop. And if all your arms and legs were falling off at the same time, you might get all three of them. He had to go to the nurse's office. But he couldn't go to the nurse's office by himself. It was 17 miles down there. He might get lost. He'd never be seen again. You couldn't go to the nurse's office unless you had permission. But there at that moment in our classroom, there was nobody there to give permission. The third grade teacher was gone. Mrs. Elliott was in the teacher's lounge. Someone had to go down to the teacher's lounge, bring Mrs. Elliott back so she could look at Warren's cut, and then send him down to the nurse's office to get the Band-Aid or the piece of ice or the cough drop. Who was going to go? Who would go all the way down to the teacher's lounge and get her? Well, right away, everyone in our class knew who should go. We knew right away. We knew that Emily Hornacker should go because, because she was Emily Hornacker and... We weren't. Emily Hornacker always did everything right. She always got hundreds on all her papers. She always got A's. She was always neat. She always wore a dress and it was never dirty. When Mrs. Elliott said, doesn't anybody know the answer? Emily would raise her hand and Mrs. Elliott would say, thank goodness you're here, Emily. I don't know what I would do without you. Everything Emily did was right. So we knew If she went down to get Mrs. Elliot at the teacher's lounge, it was the right thing to do. We turned to her and said, Emily, go get Ms. Elliot." And she said, oh, no. We said, you have to. She said, oh, no, no. You're not supposed to be in the hallway without permission. But there's no one here to give permission, we said. Then we'll just have to wait for someone to come and give us permission. We said, you have to go. She said, no. We said, Warren's dying. She said, I'm sorry, Warren. You'll just have to wait. (laughs) We said, Emily, you have to go. But she was quite clear. We had to wait. And then someone said, Emily, what if someone goes with you? She paused for a minute, considering. And that was when everyone looked at me. Because if someone was going to be in the hallway, why not Bill? I spent half my time in the hallway anyway. Now, I don't mean to say I was a bad student. I was not. I was a good student. I did all my work. I always did everything I was supposed to do. And then, I did more. Here's what would happen to me. I'd get into school and we would do our morning work, our spelling. We would write the words out and what they meant and we would write the words over and over again. I would sit down at my desk and I would work for about 10 minutes on my spelling work. And then my body would say, get up. I'd say, okay. So I would jump up and my body would say, walk around. I'd say, okay. And I walked around back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Keep walking, my body would say, okay. And then Mrs. Elliot would look up from her desk and say, Bill, what are you doing? And I'd say, I don't know. She'd say, will you please sit down? I'd say, sure. I was happy to sit down. I love to do what Mrs. Elliott wanted me to do. So I sat down. And then 10 minutes later, my body would say get up and i would get up again and after about 3 weeks of this mrs elliot realized that without a major brain operation i was not going to change and on that day i became mrs elliot's little messenger every time she had a message to deliver and sometimes when she didn't she sent me out to do it sometimes she'd say bill Why don't you just go down to the fifth grade wing and say hi to all the fifth grade teachers? I'd say, okay. Anytime she could think of something that needed to be done in the school, Mrs. Elliott's little messenger went out to do it. And because of this, I knew the entire school. I had been everywhere. I was like the mayor of the school. I'd walk down the hallway, people would say, hi, Bill, and I'd wave back, just checking how things were. So, if someone was going to be in the hallway... Why not me? Everybody said, Bill will go, Bill will go, Bill will go. Emily looked down at me. Emily Hornecker was bigger than me. All the girls in second grade were bigger than me. She said, I don't know. She wasn't sure doing anything with me was a good idea. We said, Come on, Emily, someone has to go. And just then Warren said, <laughs> And Mike said, I think he's lost a pint and a half. And we said, Emily. She said, all right, let's go. I said, great. I ran out in the hallway. She said, no running. I said, what? She said, no running. I said, why not? She said, you might trip and hurt yourself. I said, Emily, the hallways are a half mile wide. You can't trip yourself. She said, there is no running. So I began to walk in that very stiff-legged fashion, which is just as fast as running, I thought. She said, that's running. I said, my legs are straight. We got up to the first doorway, right by another second grade class. Emily said, stop. I said, what? She said, what if someone sees us? I said, so what? I stood in front of the door. I waved to Miss Considine. She said, hi, Bill. Emily said, you know her? I said, yes. We stopped at the next door. We stopped at the next door. We stopped at the first grade doors. So we got to the kindergarten. She said, stop. I said, Emily, they're kindergarten teachers. They're littler than us. We got by the kindergarten. And then we had to go by the office. She said, we'll never make it by the office. I said, Emily, just pretend like you're going to the library. It's right across the hall. And right when you get to the library door, you just scoot by. She said, you do that? I said, all the time. We scooted by the library. We walked by the nurse's office until finally we came to it. The teacher's lounge. We looked at the sign bolted high on the door. Teacher's Lounge. Staff only. The door was closed. Neither of us wanted to knock on the door. We heard someone laugh in there. I wonder what they're doing, I said. Emily said, They're probably preparing for their next class. I looked up at her. I didn't know it was that much fun. We began to be nervous. What if someone asked us what we were doing there? Just coming down the hallway to save another kid's life wasn't going to be good enough. We wished they would just open the door and know that we were there since our little second grade presence. But no one answered the door. No one opened it. Finally, Emily said, knock on the door. I said, what? She said, knock on the door. So I did. Kaboom! Kaboom! We heard more laughter. Were they laughing at us? She said, you didn't knock loud enough. Knock again. Kaboom! Kaboom! And knocked with both hands. Ka boom, ka boom. Help! Help! Open the door! Warren's dying. Ka But no one came to the door. Now we were both getting nervous. We had this image of Warren lying on the classroom floor, life ebbing out of his little body. She said, "Knock louder." I said, "I'm knocking as loud as I can." She was afraid someone was going to come up and talk to us. She said, quick, open the door. I said, what? She said, you open the door. I looked up at her. I'd had enough. I had really had enough. I said, no. She said, you have to open the door. I said, no. She said, someone has to open the door. I said, you open it. She said, no. I said, yeah, you open it. She said, no. I said, you have to. She said, I can't. I said, why not? Why can't you open the door? She said. Because I'm not supposed to. I looked up at her and I said, Emily, have you ever done anything you were not supposed to do? She said, no, you're not supposed to. And I said, well, today's a day. She said, I can't. I said, Warren's dying. She said, I can't. I said, I'm not going to. You have to. She looked down at me. She said, I don't like you. I said, Okay. And there, in that moment, Emily had to make a big decision. She had to choose between what she was supposed to do and what she needed to do. And then her hands reached up for that polished steel doorknob. She put her sweaty palms on the doorknob, and she twisted, and we heard the latch click. She pushed the door open, it swung open. We looked in and I said, whoa! And Emily said, oh my goodness. There were all the teachers. And hanging from the walls and the ceiling were ribbons of orange and blue and red and green, crepe paper, like like a fiesta. And there were balloons hanging down from the ceiling. And the teachers were standing around two long tables. And on the table was an enormous cake that was almost all gone. And over by the sink, there were two empty half-gallon cartons of ice cream. And the teachers were laughing. They were laughing and there were tears coming down the sides of their faces. And one teacher, one of those wild teachers, one of those, one of those fifth-grade teachers was standing on a chair standing on a chair in school laughing and they were pointing at her and applauding and she was bent over laughing now I know it must have been her birthday but then in second grade I looked and said to myself whoa things have gotten out of control around here What kind of dirty little secret is this? Every day we're back there in our classrooms doing those dumb worksheets, and they're down here having a big old party. And when I said, whoa, and Emily said, oh, my goodness, all of those faces turned. And all those teachers looked at us like a coven of witches. <laughs> I went, oh, and Emily said, oh. Mrs. Elliott saw us too. She separated herself from the rest of the teachers standing in that circle around the tables. She walked over to us and she looked down at us. She wasn't surprised to see me. Big deal, Bill's in the hallway. But Emily... What could Emily be doing in the hallway? She said, Emily, honey, what are you doing here? And Emily said, (laughs) Warren's dying. (laughs) He cut his hand and he's bleeding and we thought he was going to bleed to death and someone had to come get you so you could send him down to the nurses' office because he needed permission and I didn't want to come but they made me come and I knew I shouldn't but I did because I didn't know what to do. (laughs) And Mrs. Elliot said, "'Emily, it's okay. It's all right. "'You two go back to the classroom. I'll be right there.' And then she shut the door on us. We stood there looking up at the door, and we heard them laughing. We turned. We walked back down the hallway, headed to our classroom, Emily wiping the tears from her eyes from off her face. She didn't want anyone to see that she'd cried in school. I was walking back and looking at her, and I saw her shake her head. And I heard her say, I just can't believe what they do in there. We got back to the classroom. What do you think about Warren? The bleeding had stopped. He was running around the classroom, threatening to wipe his hand on other kids' shirts. We came in and said, She's coming back! And we all ran for our seats. And 45 seconds later... Mrs. Elliot showed up in our classroom and we were sitting there like perfect second graders. She called Warren up to her desk. She looked at his hand. She sent him down to the nurse's office. He came back with a Band-Aid and a cough drop. But here's what I really want to tell you. The things that happen to you when you're in second grade or first grade or third grade, those things that happen to you for the first time You carry them with you your whole life, and they make you what you are. Because a couple years ago, I went back to the town that I grew up in to do some shows and schools. And one day, I was setting up a sound system in a gym to get ready for the kids to come down and listen to my stories and songs. And while I was setting up the sound system, a woman came in, a short woman. She came up to me and she said, Bill, we're so glad you're here. We've been trying to get you here for a long time. I said, It's nice to be here. And she looked up at me and she said, Do you know who I am? I said, No. She said, I'm Emily. I was in your second grade class. Emily Hornecker? You shrunk. She said, That's not my name anymore. And really, it never was. And then she said, Do you have a minute? I said, Sure. She said, Follow me. She led me out of the gym down the hallway, past the office, past the nurse's office that was there in that school, until we stopped in front of a door. The door was closed. And on the door, there were the words, teacher's lounge, staff only. She said, come on in. We opened the door. And there were a lot of teachers in there. And they all cheered when I came in. And on the tables there, were cakes and cookies and all sorts of things to eat and there were balloons hanging from the ceiling and crepe paper and Emily turned to me and she said we're so glad you're here we decided to have a party I looked at Emily she had become a teacher and I knew why Emily Hornacker had become a teacher so she could have a party every day
1: The Teacher's Lounge, a story told for you by the wonderful Grammy-winning storyteller Bill Harley. A pleasure to listen to that story, not only with you, but also with Carly Wilson, who brought us the story today. Carly, thanks for bringing us that tale.
0: Oh, I had so much fun. Thank you.
1: (laughs) When I listen to a Bill Harley story, I think a couple things. One of the things I think is, good heavens, he understands the Me, that was a child. Yeah. You know.
0: He's so good. And then
1: the other thing that that really almost kind of breaks my heart about listening to a Bill Hartley story is I think, oh, he understands my kids. Mm. You know, it gives me an insight into some of the things that my kids may be may be feeling and experiencing. Sure. You, know? uh, you mentioned that Bill has some rules of the universe oh, right? Yeah. that appear on his website, and And you mentioned the one that says we are more alike than we are different. There are uh, there are other rules that are a little sillier, but not less true. Right.
0: That's true. Yeah. One of those is he says that if you're older than two, can't sing a song or tell a story then you're in trouble so i want to hear your song sam let's hear it
1: (laughs) my song is all about the spaghetti rule that bill talks about right
0: yep the next rule is sometimes a plate of spaghetti is the best thing in the world
1: Heck yeah. <laughs> Truth from the mouth of Bill Hartley. When you hear a story like this, are you taken back to elementary school memories?
0: Absolutely. I think it's difficult not to be here. I mean, he's so, like you said, he's so clear and you can totally go back to where you were. I was picturing yeah. my library. I was picturing walking around the halls. And I know for me, the, the principal area was all made out of uh, windows. Sure. So you could see yeah. straight through. So when yeah. they're talking about trying to sneak past the room so no one sees them, <laughs> I was right there with them. It was so fun.
1: Yeah. I do remember walking past the teacher's lounge in my elementary school and uh and 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 thinking that was sort of a special and secret place, right? I yeah. never I never saw that door open. It's always a pleasure to, to to remember those times in our lives and also to open your mouth and share those memories too, right? We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the apple seed, can spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people That you love. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. Carly, thanks for bringing us this story today. Thank you. And of course, one of the reasons we brought you this story a little longer than most apple seed bites is that we're in the mood for celebrating. Uh, Coming up on Thursday in our full hour long episode drop is another Bill Harley experience. It's an audio drama about a middle school detective named Quentin Manning. Quentin Manning, detective for Justice and the case of the flattened tires. It's a mystery filled with humor and heart, written by the wonderful storyteller Bill Harley. And again, it's coming up in the very next full hour long episode of The Appleseed. Drops on Thursday. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed.
0: Thanks for joining us for a bite, brought to you by The Appleseed.